word today from a uh, guest speaker. Uh, really uh, <clears throat> excited to introduce Pastor KJ, their uh, friend and brother. He's a uh, associate pastor at uh, Covenant Fellowship Church that's on the campus of the University of Illinois. Uh, his wife Susie is home taking care of the four kids. Uh, Sarah, who's nine, Eunice is seven, Mary is five, and Samuel is two. And right after, right, right before he left, Pastor KJ left to come here, uh, Samuel was being potty trained. And then right when he got here, he had a big accident. So it's been a little bit challenging, but um, we're grateful to have him. I have been fed the last two nights through the Word of God, uh, deeply enriched and, and blessed by his opening up of the Word and preaching that in fresh ways and with new insights um, into familiar passages, but speaking from a different uh, perspective to bring God's Word to light in my heart and in all of our hearts. It's been a blessing for us to have him. He's going to preach on, uh, on a text that we heard from actually about three weeks ago. And as we were kind of talking through uh, the sermon plan for this weekend, there's been a lot of overlap. Um, but um, we, But I said, just do it um, because... Um, really feel like it's something that the Lord God would want us to hear. Right? And the reason why God repeats things to us is because we need to hear and be reminded. A lot of times we need to be reminded more than we need to be taught. Right? Because if we just lived out a little bit of what we know already, then we could really grow a whole lot more. So let's welcome with open arms, open ears, open hearts, Pastor KJ Kim. Share the word of God with us. Praise the Lord. It's good to be here. It's always a treat for me to, to share with you. Um, it's really hot in Orlando. I talk to people, they say, this is cold. I'm thinking, wow, you guys are amazing. It's so hot. But it's uh, really good to be with you. I, uh, I really uh, love this church. I love Pastor DL and all that God is doing here. We've been going on this journey these past couple days talking about discipleship. What does it look like? We started the first night on Friday talking about the delight, the devotion, talking about uh, the nameless woman who brought an alabaster jar, broke it and poured everything, the delight of the disciple. Yesterday we talked about the response. When you see a Savior who is glorious, who is worthy, how do you respond? Jesus calls the disciple, says, come, follow me. I will make you become fishers of men. And they respond by giving it all. This morning, or after this uh, yeah, morning, we're going to sit on Psalm 73. If so if you could turn your Bible to Psalm 73, we're going to talk about perspective. What perspective should the disciple have as they are following Jesus? I recognize Pastor D.L. spoke on this a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, you know, just like he said, I think we don't need to hear new things, but we need the things that we have heard to go deeper. And maybe God wants to speak to us this morning about a perspective that he wants to shape in our lives. So anyway, Psalm 73 is where we're at. Uh, it says, a psalm of Asaph. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff 
and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there, not, is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who was unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Amen. Well, let's, uh, let's pray together before we talk about perspective. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Our prayer, God, is that you would unveil our eyes that we may see you. Uh, just like our brother had shared, a lot of people can see. It is common. The very few can look. God, we pray that you would help us to, to encounter the living God, that our heart's desire would say, just like the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing that I desire besides you. God, we pray that you would speak to us through your living word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to show, uh, start by showing you a picture in a second. And as I show you this picture, I want you to turn to somebody around you and share with them the first thing that you saw when this picture was displayed. Okay? So I'm going to show you the picture. Turn to somebody around you. And just tell them the first thing that you saw. Here's the picture. Turn to somebody around you. What's the first thing that you see? Okay. All right. How many of you, how many of you saw two faces looking at each other? Raise your hand. How many of you saw, oh, whoa, two faces looking at you. Raise your hands. Let me see. Okay, hands down. How many of you saw, not two faces, but the first thing you saw was a vase in the middle? Raise your hand. Can then, put your hands down. There's always those weird ones that want to stand out and they say, when I see this, I see a sunset in the background, right? There's always those weirdos, but it's all a matter of perspective. It's, it makes all the difference in the world, perspective. Thinking of that word perspective, if you break it up, it's interesting. The word per means through. And that word speck means to look, to see. Put together, it's the lens in which you look through. Perspective. Perspective makes all the difference in the world. Perspective, 
determines how you will view life, how you will see life. It's the lens in which you see life because that's your perspective. How you view life impacts how you will live life. So perspective is very important. Psalm 73 opens with this man named Asaph's perspective. His perspective, verse 1, it says, Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That was Asaph's perspective. Who was Asaph? Well, he was a worship leader. He was somebody who led worship. One of three handpicked by King David to lead worship. He was a worship leader. And even though verse 1 is his perspective, this was not always the case. There was a point in his life where he really struggled, where he didn't feel like worshiping and seeing life in that perspective. He really struggled until he had an encounter with God. He started by having an earthly perspective, a view of life apart from God, but it changed to an eternal perspective. So we're going to talk about two things this morning, two things. The first half of this psalm, I think, really focuses on this earthly perspective that maybe a lot of us struggle with. But there comes a turning point, an encounter with God. And the second half, we'll talk about the eternal perspective. So first, let's talk about the earthly perspective. The earthly perspective, looking at verses 1 to 16. I don't know if you've ever had moments like this in your Christian life where you wonder if it's worth it. I mean, you look at people around you and they're all advancing in their careers. They're getting everything that they want. There's no struggles. There's no difficulties. Your friends in high school or whatever seem to do anything that they want whenever they want, and it turns out okay. And you here are struggling to maintain character. And you here are struggling to be a certain kind of Christian. I don't know if you've ever had moments where you are wondering, is this worth it? That's exactly how this worship leader felt. He had an earthly perspective, looking at his life in a lens apart from God. Looked at his life apart from God. His struggles really began with his eyes, with what he saw, his eyes. His eyes, it really began with his eyes. Verse 3, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw When I saw, what did he see? Well, he saw people getting what they wanted. It says, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, he saw the wicked were prospering. They were getting everything, everything that they wanted in life. And it's not just that they were prospering. They were prospering abundantly. Look at verse seven, verse seven. It says, uh, their hearts overflow with follies it's not that they were just prospering they were prospering abundantly overflowing uh they were getting everything that they want but he saw people getting what they wanted not only that whenever they wanted they got whatever they wanted whenever they wanted verse four it says their bodies are fat and sleek that's talking about a status of life having a, a a sense of luxury that you can eat whenever you want You didn't have to work the fields like everybody else. You can live in comfort. That's what that phrase, your bodies are fat and sleek. That's what it's referring to. They are living in abundance, getting anything that they want whenever they want. They could satisfy the craving of their hearts whenever they want. He saw people 
getting what they want and whenever they want, however they want. Look at verse 6. It's interesting how he describes those people. It says, therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. He sees the worldly people and he sees them draped in pride. He sees them covered in violence. This is really talking about people getting whatever they want by whatever means necessary. If it meant force by exerting their power, hurting people, forcing their agenda, they did whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, and they got whatever they wanted, however they could get it. You think about it, this man's focus, his worldly, earthly perspective, was on everything but God. He saw everything but God. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 and 5. They have no pangs. Their bodies are fat. Verse 5. They are not in trouble. They are not stricken. His focus is on they, on them. He's looking at everything but God. In fact, that, that third person uh, pronoun, they, is used about 16 or 17 times in these first 16 verses. That's his focus. He, it never says you. This pronoun you never comes out in these first 16 verses. He's seeing everything but God. I think that's a challenge to us, to the church, to Harvest, to Christians. There, it's, it, it's dangerous when we start to focus on everything but God. When other people's business starts to affect you. You know, think about my church in Champaign. It's a pretty large church. And uh, one of the things that drives people away from the church, I don't know if it's true here, but it's true in our church, is this gossip that happens. It seems to happen in every church that I know because there's human beings and people focusing on other people's businesses. I, I've talked to a countless number of people that have left the church because of gossip, because of rumors, because of people talking about other people and, and getting into people's businesses unnecessarily. Be careful of that. Because when we start to do that, when other people's businesses become our business, when we get preoccupied with others, that begins a slippery slope of having an earthly perspective. I mean, there is a place in the church where we need to be concerned of other people and speak into people's lives and allowing other people to speak in our lives. But... When we become overly concerned to the point of rumors and gossip, that's a dangerous place. His perspective, he saw everything but God, and it started to affect his mind. What he sees affected, secondly, his mind. Verse 16, but when I thought, when I thought, one of the biggest keys to fighting and living this Christian life is your thought life. That's the key in fighting these different battles. We must learn to view life from what we know of Scripture. I have seen too many Christians operate in this way. They, they look at their lives and their circumstances, and they see a world of difficulty. They're, they're going through difficult times. Their businesses are not going well or whatnot, and they think, if God loves me, this would not happen. And so what happens is their situations 
start to affect what they believe of God. You see what I'm saying? They let their situations affect who God is. But we as Christians need to operate differently. We need to let our faith, our biblically informed mind, view the situations around us. Who is God to you? Let scripture inform that. And you look at your reality, your life in that way. It may not seem like it. It may not seem like God is present, but I trust the Bible says he is always with me. So even in this moment where I feel alone, I believe that he is with me. We need to not let situations affect our mind, but let our mind informed by scripture view the situation. What a wonderful thing that you are at a church where the Bible is preached. I hope you never take that for granted because there are a lot of churches that water down the Bible teaching or never even teach the Bible. I've been to a lot of services. In fact, when I grew up in the youth, I remember one particular revival meeting. The speaker opened up the Bible, read one verse, closed it, and started to give a sermon based on an article in Time magazine. I mean, that's the nature of what I grew up in, just people that were not emphasizing scripture. Rejoice in the fact that you are at a church that is biblically informed and taught. Amen? What a, what a blessing it is. What he saw, this man, Asaph, what he saw was wickedness prospering. His conclusion, interestingly, verse 13, all in vain. He looks at everything and he says, all in vain. He doesn't conclude God is going to judge them one day. What he says is, it was all in vain. I wasted my time. I made the wrong choices. His focus is on himself. I mean, look at verses 13 and 14. I think the next slide emphasizes that. Look at how many times he focuses on everything but God. He says, I kept my heart clean and washed my hands. Verse 14, I have been stricken and rebuked. His focus is on they and his focus is on me. That's what an earthly perspective focuses on. Everything. But God, it removes God from the equation. It views life through a lens apart from God. He's focusing on himself. What he saw affected his mind and it revealed his heart. Verse 3, for I was envious. I was envious of the arrogant. Our desires really reveal what perspective we have in life. Asaph saw wicked prospering, and he saw that his life was in vain, and he envied. Envy is really a desire that shows what you love. If he didn't love those things, there would be no envy in his heart. I mean, for example, I think about all the things I do not envy. Like for me, I don't ever look at somebody and envy them when they are wearing skinny jeans, right? Like I don't look at God. I mean, if you wear skinny jeans, praise God, I guess. I don't, I don't ever look at a guy wearing skinny jeans and think, my goodness, I wish I was that man. Like, I don't ever do that. I don't ever look at somebody eating a bowl of beans, right? I don't know why I was thinking about beans. Uh, but I don't ever look at a guy eating beans and think, man, that looks good. 
Right? That's not my cup of tea. If you like it, that's wonderful. But not me. I don't ever envy somebody eating beans. What do I envy? I, when, I, when I see other cities celebrating a championship, and my Chicago Cubs, for as long as I have lived, have never experienced that. I envy that. I do. When the Boston Red Sox celebrated their first of three championships, they broke this curse. I was thinking, my city has a curse too. Why not me? Right? Like I envy sometimes when I'm watching other people eat a medium rare steak and all I have is a bowl of beans. I envy them. I wish I was that person. Every single one of us, Christians or not, envy something. We all have something that we can potentially envy. Every single one of us. It might not be a meal, but it might be a relationship. It might be a certain amount of, uh, of money or lifestyle status. It could be uh, getting a certain major, getting into a certain major. There's every single one of us have the potential to envy something. It shows your desires, our desires. You don't have it, but you wish you could have it. He desires in his heart anything but God to satisfy the cravings of his heart. Earthly perspective, use life apart from God. It Focus on ourselves, others, but not God. I heard this story told by Tim Keller about this Austrian psychiatrist that survived the Holocaust. His name was Viktor Frankl. Uh, and it was interesting. He made an interesting observation. He looked at his time in the prison camps, the concentration camps, and he basically concluded there were three types of people in the prison camps as they endured this difficult time. He said there were three kinds of people. The first kinds of people became worse. They became more evil. They betrayed their countrymen. They became informants. They became worse. He said the second kind of people, uh, they just kind of curled up and they died slowly. They couldn't handle it, so they just kind of withered and died slowly. The third kind of person, he said, as, as he viewed his experiences, he said the third kind of person got better. Their character shined brighter. They sacrificed and loved greater. He said there were three kinds of people. And what distinguished them, the first two people had no, the only purpose, meaning in life for them was found in this world. It was their family. It was their career. It was their comfort. It was their house. It was something on this side of the world. And when that is all that they live for, they became one of those two people who became worse, who kind of curled up and died. But that third kind of person that got better, who, shone, who shined brighter in dark times, they were people that had a purpose outside of this world, that had a greater meaning outside of this world. I think that is so true. I think that's spot on. That when we have a purpose, a meaning outside of this world, we can start to have a greater perspective. Question I have for every single one of us. Do we live as if this is all that there is? 
Do we live with a perspective of eternity, that there is something awaiting us? The psalmist eventually got to this point. Verse 17 is the turning point when everything changed for him, when he started to have an eternal perspective. The key word in verse 17, this transition, is the word until. He says in verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God. I mean, think about it. This man was in the temple his whole life, but he never entered the sanctuary until this moment. I think about how many of us have been to church our whole lives, but I wonder if you have ever entered the sanctuary. Because something happens when you encounter God, when you have an until moment. Something happens. You start to see the reality of life from God's perspective. I absolutely believe this. I believe when God's people get together and worship, there is always a potential for God to change lives. I absolutely believe that. I mean, think about how God is described in Scripture, in Psalms. Chapter 104, it describes God robed in majesty, robed in glory. Revelation chapter 1 talks about when God speaks, it is like a roaring water, a rushing water. His eyes, Revelation 1 tells us, it is like a blazing fire. Think about when that God enters the plane of our worship and we encounter that God, lives can change. I absolutely believe every time we worship and encounter God, we can change. Someone said this. A pastor said this. Worship puts God at the center of our vision. It is only when God is at the center of our vision that we see things as they really are. When we worship, it puts God at the center of our vision. My challenge to us, keep coming the church and worshiping in this community because God can transform lives. Amen. I was thinking about the bucket challenge. You guys all know the bucket challenge. It's like everybody has done it, right? How many of you have done the bucket challenge? Okay. Just one handful. Okay. He's so excited. Yeah. Bucket challenge. I was thinking about the bucket challenge. Here's my, here's my pastor KJ challenge. I, I thought of a pastor KJ challenge. I was thinking this, you know, it was a simple challenge. Go to church. That's your challenge. Go to church every Sunday of this year. That's my challenge to you. And if you, if you miss a Sunday, then you can give $100 to Pastor DL. Okay, anyways, that's the challenge because when you worship, you can change. It's a potential for change. My encouragement, many of you are plugged into these uh, home house churches. House churches, house churches, house churches. Yes, house churches? Okay, house churches. Many of you are plugged in house churches. I think that's a wonderful thing. Stay around community of believers because when you are in the midst of community, sometimes they can help calibrate your perspective. They've encountered something that you haven't. And as they talk about that, you desire that. Stay around. Keep coming out to these house churches. Because when you encounter God, puts everything in perspective. This man saw life differently. He had a vision of God. He had a vision of God. This is the 
first time from verse 17 on that we are introduced to the second person pronoun, you. We didn't see it in the first half, but it comes out for the first time. Prior to this, remember, his focus was on them, on me, but now he focuses on you. Fifteen times in the second half, the writer mentions you. Verse 23, you hold my right hand. Verse 24, you guide me with your counsel. Verse 24, you receive me to glory. You start to have an eternal perspective when you start to see through the eyes of God. When you start to see life through the eyes of God, you see everything differently. I thought about this children's book. I don't even know if people read this anymore, but I grew up, I read this when I was a kid. I thought of this book, Freaky Friday. Do you guys know Freaky Friday? The older, older, older people, my people, we know Freaky Friday. Anyways, Freaky Friday, they made that into a movie, uh, I think twice, actually. I think Lindsay Lohan was, was in that movie. Anyways, Freaky Friday. It was basically about a teenager whose mom kept pushing her buttons, nagged her in different ways, just pushed her in different ways. And this teenager was fed up until one particular Friday, a Freaky Friday, right? She encounters a transformation. She wakes up one Friday in her mom's body and she sees life through her mom's eyes. And as this book unfolds, and by the time you get to the end of this book, this character, this teenager realizes why the mom focused on different things and it put everything in perspective when she started to see life through her mom's eyes. I think when we can start to see life through the eyes of God, it changes everything. Because some of you struggle. You know, you're trying to be faithful. Life is, un, is mundane and, and work life, I, I completely understand that. I work for six years as a teacher. It's mundane. It's hard. It's not easy. And you're trying to be faithful. But when we can start to see life through the eyes of God, we realize he doesn't overlook anything. He sees everything. There is never a moment that we are outside of God's view. He sees everything. Nothing is in vain. He sees you. He sees your heart. When we can start to live life through the eyes of God, it changes everything. He not only has a vision of God, he has a vision of God in the world. Remember, at first, he was envious of those who got what they wanted, whenever they wanted, however they wanted. But after this encounter, he sees the brevity of life. He sees how short their pleasure lasts. Look at verse 18. I love the language of verse 18 and 19. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall in ruin to ruin. Verse 19. They are destroyed in a moment. In a moment. It was formerly Asaph who was falling, but in reality, he sees they are on slippery slopes. He sees their pleasure is for a moment. I was thinking about it. For non-believers, the closest they will ever get to heaven is on this side. This is the closest, the most pleasure they will ever receive. And it is for a moment. But I was also thinking of believers. Believers who are going through difficulty, suffering. This is the closest you will ever get to hell. 
This is as hard as it will be. And scripture says it is for a moment. I wish I could share, you know, if you believe in God, you follow Christ, everything will get better. I mean, there is a sense that the prosperity gospel appeals to people. You believe in God and you will get everything you want. I wish I could preach that. But scripture says it may not get better. It might get worse. But scripture also says that this is the only hell we will ever experience, and it is for a moment. That's what verse 14, James 4, 14, comparing our life to a mist. I mean, I, I recognize in, in um, Florida, you guys don't have cold weather. Cold weather for you is 80 degrees, and you start to put winter coats on. But uh, where I'm from, it gets cold. I mean, in the wintertime, in this winter, I was telling people, this was a coldest winter I've ever been to, I've ever experienced. I mean, I would shower, my hair is still wet, I would go outside, and in a matter of five to ten seconds, my hair was frozen. I mean, I'm not even exaggerating. It would, it would like, I would pick one piece of hair, and all of my hair would go like this, because it was frozen. Some of you are looking at me like, what? Where do you live, right? I mean, people, they, they did this on Facebook. I don't know if you saw this, but people would boil some water, go outside in this below 10-degree weather, throw it in the air, and in a moment, that boiling water became snow. Like when they threw it out, it wasn't liquid anymore. It became snow. Anyways, what am I talking about? Well, in this kind of, in this kind of weather, when it gets this cold, you can go outside, and you just kind of go, right? You, you blow your breath, and you can see your, your breath, the vapors, and it goes away. It's a mist. It's just there and gone. That's what James, in James chapter 4, verse 14, compares our life to. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist, just for a moment, mist that appears for a little time and vanishes. Our life, it is a long life. You know, this side of, of, of eternity, it is a long life. But in the perspective of eternity, when you take the 70, 80 years and you compare it to eternity, it is but a dot. It is just a moment. We need to see and live our life in the perspective and ask ourselves, will this matter in eternity? Is this what I'm focusing on and living for? Will it matter a hundred, a thousand years from now? May we align our lives and live our lives in the perspective of eternity. The last thing we see when we have this until moment, we have a vision of God, a vision of God in the world, a vision of God in him. Before his encounter, he describes himself in verse 21. He says, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. He says, I was like a beast. A beast has no control over their emotions and their desires. They act however they want. A beast is unable to worship God. But he says, that's how I was. But when I had this encounter, there was a desire change. God completely changed his desires. Verse 25, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. It says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire 
beside you. There is nothing, nothing on earth I desire beside you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion. When God says you are my portion, a portion is referring to someone's share in an inheritance. One person passed away, you are a a family of five, you split that among five. But this psalmist is saying, I don't need an inheritance. I don't need that share because God is my reward. God is my inheritance. He is my treasure. He is my delight. There is nothing that can satisfy the craving, the desires of my heart. Nothing I desire besides you. I think that's the cry of the church. When the church can get to that point where they say, you know, there is nothing that I desire besides God. He is my treasure. He is my reward. He is all that I want. He is all that I will ever need. I want us to think about it for a second. Think about it. For this psalmist, nothing changed. His life was exactly the same. He was still in the temple. The wickedness and prosperity continued in front of him. Externally speaking, nothing changed. But for him, everything was different. He saw life differently. He was not the same. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this psalm as I've been following the news the past couple weeks. And this is the only way you can look at the world from this lens. This is the only way it makes any sense. You know, I've been thinking a lot. I'm sure all of us are aware of how the Muslim extremist group ISIS is just kind of running rampant. A couple weeks ago, I'm sure we are aware of the American journalist James Foley who on the internet was uh, beheaded. The, the beheading of, his, of, of him, his death, was just portrayed on the internet. How the ISIS movement is trying to make a Sunni Islamic state. And I'm sure a lot of us are aware that Christians are uh, being persecuted and targeted in these areas. Um, I do want to show you a picture. I'm not going to leave it out too long, but this is just one of many pictures that come out from this area. If it's hard to tell, they're just carrying um, a handful of children that have been killed. Probably, my guess, children that were Christians that are, are carried to their death, to their grave. We can uh, put the picture down. You know, there's stories on the internet of how young children are being beheaded left and right. Christians. They've been targeted. And it breaks my heart. I mean, one, because they are children but also because these are believers in Christ. It breaks my heart. Uh, and uh, what, what these uh, Muslim groups are doing is they're going around and they're spraying this symbol. I'm sure you've seen this. It's different people on the internet are putting this on their Facebook as a profile pic. Anyways, they're putting this picture, this symbol, they're spraying it on their property. They'll identify Christians and spray this Arabic symbol on their property. This is basically the Arabic symbol uh, for the letter N, representing Nazarene. What they're saying is this, when they mark this person's property, they're saying this is from, or this is a follower of the Nazarene. And when they spray that property, they'll claim it as their own. If that Christian family stays around, 
They'll be persecuted. Many of them will be led to their death, often by the sword. They'll spray their property. I've been thinking about that. These believers that are going through this difficulty. This is the only hell that they will ever experience. This is the only suffering and difficulty that they will face. Their suffering on this side of eternity, Scripture says, is only a mist. It is just a mist for one moment and it will fade. And in that moment when their life is taken away, they will awaken in the presence of the glorious one who himself bears a mark, nail-pierced hands on behalf of his people. And in a moment, they will be able to experience their treasure and their delight for eternity. They will say, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing, nothing on earth that I desire, nothing that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh have failed, but you are my portion, my delight, my treasure, my reward. And there is nothing I want. I pray, Harvest Church, that you will have an eternal perspective that lives for eternity and lives for the pleasure of our marked one. I pray that you will leave a mark in this city and in a mist, in a moment, we will worship our glorious one for eternity. Let's pray together. Let's just pray for a minute. I think there'll be a time to respond and, and worship and just for a minute, regardless of what stage of faith we are at and how old or young we are, the question I have for every single one of us, what are we living for? And what are we saying is worth dying for? What perspective do we have? To spend a minute in prayer, and maybe you can just say a simple prayer. Lord, I want an until moment. I want to see you the way that scripture describes you. Veiled in glory and majesty. I want to encounter the one who speaks like thunder and rushing waters. I want to encounter the one that has blazing eyes. I want to see you. I tell you, it may not happen today. It may not happen next week. But if that is your prayer, a genuine prayer, I want to see you. God will unveil our eyes. We will have that until moment. Your life will never be the same again. Just pray a simple prayer. Lord, help me to see you. Okay, Just pray that for a minute. I want to have an eternal perspective. Help me to see you. Just pray for a minute. I think the worship team will lead us in a song. Commit yourself and just make that your prayer. Lord, help me to see you.